1 Samuel 17, talking about David and Goliath as an uh, introduction for the message today. And uh, probably won't go longer than two hours in this part of the sermon. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The Lord was speaking to me so much in worship, I put a bunch of uh, things he was saying to me down there, and it somehow made me lose my place in my notes here. Let's do verse 28. Interesting, when I was studying for this, uh, something I did not remember was that, uh, you know, Goliath, the giant Philistine, along with the army, uh, came up against Israel. And, uh, you know, they did this for like 40 days. 40 days. You know, Jesus was tempted in the desert for how many days? Forty days. Moses was up on the mountain for how many days? Forty days. That's real interesting. So uh, they were uh, tempted. Israel was basically for 40 days, but what happened is they kind of got wore down. And so um, David's father was uh, wanting to know how his three sons, that his three, he had eight sons, and the three oldest were um, at the battle. And so he said, here, I'm going to give you some supplies. I want you to go see how they're doing. And so uh, he shows up, and um, I know in your family there was no competitiveness among siblings, just like mine. But apparently in David's family there was, you know, this normal sibling rivalry. So verse 28, uh, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why did you come here? And with whom have you less left those few sheep in the wilderness? <laughs> I'm sure when Eliab was taking care of the sheep, it was great masses of sheep. But when his little brother was doing it, who, who have you left those few sheep that's so insignificant? Right? Um in the wilderness, and he said, I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart, for you are come down that you may see the battle. Anybody relate to that with siblings or family or maybe sometimes if you're super, super close to a friend, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I know your heart. Well, God is the only one that really knows the heart. Verse 29, and David said, what have, I, what have I now done? What is it this time that I have done? I don't know why. There's only a couple of us laughing, but I'm getting a kick out of it. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? That's the title of today's message. Is there not a cause? 
Is there not a reason? And so, uh, you know, Habakkuk, uh, chapter 2, talks about write the vision, make it plain, that they that read it may run thereby, right? And so a lot of people, especially in leadership type of teachings, they'll use this for like writing the vision out, making it plain, which is, which is all true and good, and, and that's kind of necessary. Um, it's very helpful. But Habakkuk, when he's talking about the vision, like chapter 2, chapter 1, he's, he's like asking the Lord questions, like long questions, so he asked the Lord all these long questions, and the Lord responds. And so um, when he said, write the vision, make it plain, this is God's answer to his questions. And what his questions were is he said, uh, you know, it seems like everybody in the world just kind of like does their own thing, and they get a, a lot of things that they enjoy, and then they, they like, but then the people that are serving you, how come they don't get that? And he said, his response is, write the vision, make it plain, that they that read it may run thereby. And then he, he goes on, maybe we, should, maybe we should read over there. Let's go, Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh, verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. <laughs> Do you ever pray and expect correction? If you don't, you should. You're not praying right if you don't. You really think you're that amazing apart from him? No, he's that amazing. So I like he that loves correction, Proverbs says, loves what? Life. So you need to learn how to love correction. Well, the best way I know to do that is, number one, believe the word. And number two, you see the end of the correction. I was with um, Pastor Mark Hankins one time, and uh, he said, uh, you got some food on your face right here. That was kind of embarrassing. But I thought, now that's a true friend. Because instead of just pretend like it's not there, let me go around everywhere with food on my face, he's like, you know, you got some food on your face. So I, I, I've paid him back for that a few times. I said, you know, you got some food on your face. Right, so, you know, that's, that's like a, a, a good correction. <laughs> you know, not like necessarily doing something wrong, but you don't realize what's going on. And sometimes we don't realize what's going on. And man, you... you when you open your heart to the Lord genuinely and you ask him, trusting him to answer, he will always answer. He is dependable. He is faithful. He is true. And he watches over his words to perform them. So if you just bring his words back to him, Lord, this is what you said. This is my expectation because this is what you declared to me. This is what you said to me. Well, he, he will do it. He's actually watching. He's looking for someone 
who will give everything else up and say, I'm acting on your word. I'm trusting your word. I'm, I'm going to do what your word said. And I'm expecting. So he said, I stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he'll say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Hopefully I can get beyond that because I love that part. Like, what am I going to say when the Lord corrects me? <laughs> then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision Make it plain on the tables that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak. It will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not uh, tarry. Or in other words, it won't wait. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. You know, Paul, of course, uh, quoted this over in Romans. But the just shall live by faith. And uh, so what he goes on to say in Habakkuk is that, you know, that way of life that the world lives will actually destroy them. And it may look good now, but they are not justified. Not, not just in the life to come, but even in this life, but of course in the life to come. But what I want to focus in on is the vision that the just shall live by faith. Write the vision, make it clear, make it plain. And so, uh, you know, when we think of those who've given their life, you know, I, I want to read a quote from uh, George Washington. Anybody know George Washington? I haven't met him. My kids have been to his house. I have not been there, and I've lived here for nine years. I haven't been there. I need to go there, I guess. Anyhow, this is on August 27th of 1776. And uh, this was right before the Battle of Long Island. So, of course, America, the United States, rather, had declared independence July. What date was that? The 4th, 1776. So this is just a few months later, or next month actually, about almost two months. Um, and this is what he said. He said, this time is, the time is now near at hand, which must probably determine whether Americans are to be free or slaves, whether they are to have any property they can call their own, whether their houses and farms are to be pillaged and destroyed and themselves consigned to a state of wretchedness from which no human effort will deliver them. The fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. Our cruel and unrelenting enemy leaves us only the choice of brave resistance or the most abject submission. We have, therefore to resolve, to conquer, or to die. So David said, is there not a cause? Well, why did he say, there, is there not a cause? He's going up Goliath. He said, you know, because he said to Goliath, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? So, so he had a cause, and his cause was not to come and see the battle, and his cause, you know, wasn't even to get the king's daughter and the king's riches. But he did ask, now what will be done for the man who does this? He said, you will not defeat me because I can't come in the name of the Lord of hosts whom you have defied. 
And so his cause was greater than his comfort. He's like, I'm going out. I don't really care what my brother said. I don't care what anybody else says. My cause is greater. The cause is greater. And so, um, what do you want to be said of you? When you draw your last breath here on the earth, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want to have accomplished? What legacy will you leave? Most people don't affect millions. Most people maybe affect like hundreds or something like that or even less. What legacy do you want? Well, if you don't write the vision, make it clear, make it plain, do you know the Bible says, what is your life? It is like a fleeting mist that appears for a while and then vanishes away. One of the guys I, I really enjoy listening to, he's gone to heaven now, is T.L. Osborne, and he said, I was in one of his services, multiple of his services, but in this particular seminar, and he just said, I just saw this like... Um, sickle, you know, that you used to, they'd use to gather in the grain. We use it in our yard for like weeds and stuff. When he would say this, I, I thought it, he's like, he said, you only got one swath at life. Make it count. It'll end so much sooner than you think. I don't know how I ever got to be 80 years old this quickly. I just remember that. It just really caught my attention. And, uh, you know, I mean, do you know how you got to be 30 years old this quickly? <laughs> Mrs. Hagen, she's like, I'm 39 for the 39th time or something like that. I don't know how old she is. So when you think of what legacy are you leaving, well, it's great to think of after you're gone. But you know, like, what are you leaving with those who you're with today or who you'll be with tomorrow? You, you know, you may not have another, you might not have another chance to ever be with that person again. Do you know life and death are in the power of the tongue? There is he that speaks like the piercings of the sword. Just cut people up. But the tongue of the wise is health. And so it would be really good for all of us to kind of uh, prayerfully consider what vision we have for our life. Yeah, the totality of it. But maybe the next 10 years, maybe the next five years, maybe the next year, and maybe this week. Some people, will um, work really hard 
send themselves or maybe their parents will help send them to some of the best schools, best education you can get. They get the job at the great company that they wanted to work at. They're on track for the corner office on the top floor. They get there, maybe they get that office. They haven't married. They haven't had a family. They begin to think like, hmm, I don't know if I enjoy 80 hours a week all the time. What's going to be the end of my life? What am I doing with my life? Particularly if you're a lady, you know, you've only got so many years that you're childbearing age. But if you don't have a vision for your life, like what do you want to accomplish? What do you value? Where will you go with it? Well, you might just wake up one day and find out that you're 10 years older than what you were the day before is what it feels like. Where did that time go? I love in Timothy where Paul talks about the faith of Lois and Eunice, his mother and grandmother. And he said, I am persuaded that that same faith is in you also. That his mother and grandmother deposited a legacy of faith into him. Well, you know, the greatest way that you deposit faith into children is to live a life of faith. Not to speak a life of faith only, but your words have substance. You know what I love about living a life of faith? I don't have to be perfect. So much of faith is actually overcoming adversity and overcoming obstacles and overcoming challenges. And what do you do when you realize you messed up? Well, if you want your kids to turn out right, you better not hide that from them and pretend like nothing happened because kids will know. You're really acting like the devil. Deceptive. I'm not saying you have to tell them every detail, but what you're doing, if you live that kind of life, what I'm doing if I live that kind of life is I'm creating this beautiful presentation that my life is perfect. I never do anything wrong. And now they're going to try to live up to that either consciously or unconsciously in their own life. And they will find out that humanity is frail and weak without God. And they will find out a challenge comes that they can't overcome and they will feel like a piece of poop because mama or daddy never had these kind of problems because they have been deceived. So I love to live by faith because faith does not mean I'm living perfect. Faith just means I have turned the course, the direction of my life over towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm looking to the author of faith. I'm looking to the finisher of faith. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect on the way. But it means as, as much as I have the power and I'm going to uh, rely upon the goodness and mercy of God, I have, I'm like a horse with blinders on pointed towards the Lord Jesus Christ and following him with my life. We are more than overcomers, which means we have to have things that we more than overcome. So it, it is a complete uh, fallacy 
that a life of faith is like where you, you walk under a cherry tree uh, when they're in season with a basket and just wait for them to fall on you into your basket. Like, oh, this is great. I'm a man of faith now, so everything just happens automatically for me. I walk. You ever seen those like uh, shows where the flowers like point towards you? So they're always like following you and opening and you walk and the flowers open up and the berries, not for Brandon, but for the rest of us, the berries fall. He doesn't like, he doesn't like berries. He's learning. He'll grow up someday. <laughs> I didn't like sour cream either when I was young, but I do now. Okay. I'm kind of getting into the series I believe we're starting next week a little bit, but which is encourage, infuse you with courage. But if you're looking for life to be satisfying when everything's going just perfect, you might as well give it up now. Well, when I get the car I've always wanted, when I finally get married, then I'll be happy. When I get the car, I'll be happy. When I get the house, I'll be happy. When I get the job, I'll be happy. When I eat really good food, I'll be happy. When I jump out of an airplane, I'll be happy with a parachute. Right? I'll be happy. No, Paul said... Or excuse me, James said in James chapter 1, count it all joy. One translation says maximum joy when you fall into all kinds of tests and trials and temptations. Count it. That's the top joy. This is the greatest joy of my life. That is different. Right? That is contrary to natural humanity. But you're like, wait a minute, you're saying when I fall into all kind of tests and trials, adversity, trouble, problems, like this is the great, whoo, I'm so full of joy. Why? Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance or endurance or the Greek word is hupomon. What's the end of it? Well, I think it's verse four says that you may be perfect. I think it'd be better to translate it perfected. That you may be perfected and entire, complete. Wanting what? Nothing. Nothing. Well, we all, in your natural, unrenewed mind or your flesh, think, yeah, if I had a billion dollars, I would be wanting nothing. Well, that would be the answer, is the money. Well, he, James, inspired by God's own spirit, said, actually, you count it maximum joy when you face tests and trials. Why? Well, because many people think, if I didn't have to work, that would be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Never realizing that your life needs a cause and a purpose to ever be fulfilled. 
there must be a cause. There must be a purpose. And you must go after it with all of your life. And you must write the vision, make it clear, make it plain. What do you want to infuse into your children? What do you want to infuse into your friends? What do you want to infuse into, what, what do you want to spend your life doing? What do you want to give your life for? You give it 80 hours a week for something? There better be eternal value in that somewhere. 80 hours a week? You lost your life. You destroyed relationships. You've exchanged. Your time, sometimes the most valuable years of your life, for unrighteous mammon. How many times have you heard Father's Day coming up? <laughs> but I don't like to preach Father's Day messages that just like slam on Father. So let's do it now. No. <laughs> I heard one time. So I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I'm not saying. Okay. Let's just say, yeah, no. Sometimes things that are put in us by God so that we function the way he has designed us, like as men to be protectors and providers, you know, you can like take that way too far and, and you just don't understand. And you're like, well, I'm just going to work 80 hours a week so my kids can have anything they want, the big house, the wonderful cars, the, all this other type of stuff. Well, number one, the problem with that is you're not, where's faith in God in that? But okay, number two is they want you, not the stuff. So you're going to exchange. I mean, my, my daughter, my oldest is 16 now, and my youngest is 10, I guess. And so, you know, from 1 to 16, well, if I just did this for 15 years, maybe 20 years, well, then I could retire. I make enough money. Maybe I'll get five million in there and I'll just retire at like 50. Only problem with that is the 20 years when I could have been there for their disappointments, not to condemn them, but to come alongside them and say, come on, we're going to do this together. We're going to trust God together. They don't have that. Now, at 20 years, they may decide they're getting married right away. They may decide, oh, I want to do this job over here. Why? Because they saw my example that the job was the most important thing. So my heart, I'm like, hey, I'm retiring. I want to be with you. And they're kind of like, well, well, I'm going to the other side of the world because I have got this opportunity of a lifetime. So write the vision, make it plain. If you've got a family, write your family vision. If you don't have a family, you want a family, write the vision, make it plain. What do you value? What do you want to instill? You might not have a ton of people that you influence, but I'll tell you what. There are things that have, of, of those that have gone before me that I remember certain things of their character. Like 
uh, Pastor Jack Hayford just passed away earlier this year, right? So I had the honor to help him one time, or a couple times. He was there for like three or four days, and so I was helping him with uh, different things, ministering to the church I was at. And so we're going out uh, for him to preach on, uh, in the auditorium. We'd always pray before, but there were other people back there, and they got talking about a bunch of stuff. So we start walking out, and he just grabs the doorway and falls to his knees and asks the Lord to forgive him. Lord, I, I never go out without first committing that service to you right then and there. Of course, he prayed before. Well, that'll never leave me. I worked for Kenneth Hagin for uh, several years. Senior, he's in heaven now. I worked for him. A story a lot of people don't know, but really blessed me because I worked in their television department. And so I had some familiarity with the television equipment and actually a lot because I ended up doing a lot of stuff with it. Anyhow, uh, I worked with an engineer who had been hired before Kenneth Hagin's son was hired, before Pastor Hagin was hired. And so um, he'd been there for a very long time. And he told me a story of uh, when the ministry was first getting going and they, they were uh, first getting on, they were actually on television for a couple of years. A lot of people don't know that. But they, anyhow, they were recording all their, all their services. And um, so uh, a friend of his, John Osteen, who is Joel Osteen's father, um, asked Kenneth Hagin, like, hey, uh, we got to go on TV. Who would you recommend to get TV equipment from? And he said, oh, this, this company here. So John Osteen went and bought all that equipment. Quite a bit of money of equipment. Television equipment is expensive. It's not like um, social, what do you call it? Social media equipment or what you do now to get on YouTube. It's not like that. Well, now it could kind of be, but back then it wasn't. It was very, very expensive. So he buys all the stuff. Well, Kenneth Hagin found out that the stuff that they had bought was junk. And they had spent a ton of money on it. So he called up John Osteen and said, John, you know, we're wanting to uh, get on television and do some things. We want to buy all of your equipment from you, knowing it was junk. So he did. He bought it from him. And as a funny side little story, I, uh, you know, when I first started there, I was, had been from an IT background and had what I considered good opportunities there. And so I was quite humbled to be labeling tapes at the ministry and, and cataloging all of the uh, tapes. Where would they go in the vault and keep track of them, have a database for them. And, uh, but the, the hardest thing for me was labeling those VHS tapes. That was so demeaning. Like, what is the purpose? So, uh, anyhow, uh, some of the oldest videos of Kenneth Hagin that you can find were recorded on this used junk equipment. <laughs> and uh, so we need to restore some of those. So we hired a machinist to make a special part to add some tension to that tape. And I ended up using that equipment to help restore their old stuff, which was pretty cool. And... Um, So that story will never leave me. And, you know, there's, there's many stories like that. And so you think, like, when I interact with someone, how do I do that? 
Well, you live by faith. Let's, let's finish here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. Because you want to leave a, a legacy of more than stuff. Stuff's nice, don't get me wrong. You know, your family will appreciate it if you leave them lots of stuff. But it's pretty shallow. The satisfaction that can be found in that is, can be pretty short-lived. Like the prodigal son. He said, I, I want my inheritance. So the father divided his inheritance before he even died. Probably must have sold some land, liquidated stuff, said, here, take it. Well, he went, and in a short period of time, just on, you know, uh, on women, on getting drunk, on partying, he just, like, spent all that money. And he had no money for food. He's with the pigs, eating. And it says, the Bible says he came to himself, and he said, wait a minute, the servants in my father's house are eating way better than this. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to ask him to forgive me and ask him if he'll make me a servant in his house. The Bible says that the father saw him when he was a long way off. So he was looking for and expecting him. And he's like, put the royal robe on him. Kill the fatted calf. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate because he that was dead is alive again. What did he do? He just turned back to his father. And Jesus said, this is how it is with people when they come back to God. Amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read in New King James. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, verse 1, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle or our letter written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you're an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. You know, your, our life is to be a letter from God to ourselves and to those around us that you can live a life that lets God write on the hearts of those that you interact with. And that is a life of faith. Chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. How do you do that? By faith, spirit of faith. We are perplexed, but not in despair. How do you do that? By faith, live by faith. You got a spirit of faith. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Doesn't that sound like a spirit of faith? 
What happened? I see you're down there. Yeah, but I'm not destroyed. <laughs> that was a rough ride. <laughs> I'm thinking of my kids. <laughs> you know, they're like, <laughs> swinging. My uh, nephew came a couple years ago. He's coming in a week or two to visit again. And him and his sister were on a swing that we have going out over a hill. And they're like, and, and, there's, we had, unfortunately, two ropes going from it. And so they're all, each on one side. And they start spinning, and his sister comes and grabs it, and it just, it just whips it. like, And he's on the other end. Well, he can't hang on. So he goes flying like this down the hill, busts his arm. And, and so uh, we had to end up having to cut that tree down, so he's coming to visit. And I said, well, tell him we cut the tree down. <laughs> so he's like, cast down. But he was not in despair. He healed up wonderfully. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our flesh. For we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. We having... The same spirit of faith, according as it's written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. What is God's vision for your life? If you don't know, today, maybe right now when I'm praying, just ask the Lord, Lord, what is your plan for my life? Well, I know that I can tell you generally what the plan is. is for good and not for evil to give you hope and a future. But then there are some specifics that you ought to know. Sometimes the easiest way to find what something is is to find out what it's not. What do you not want your life to turn out to be? What do you not want to accomplish? You know, I talked about somebody working 80 hours a week. Maybe you could think of that picture and think, is that what I want my life to be? Is that what I want to become? Many times if you look at the vision, it's a lot easier to know the steps to get to the vision than it is to try to figure out the steps, but you don't know where those steps are leading you. So I know when we ask the Lord, well, you can actually look in the Word and see things that He values. And He values, one of the greatest things He values is passing your faith on to your family. One of the greatest things that He values is the lost, those that need a physician, right? The greatest thing He values are relationships, well, you could find out from the word. Well, then you could pray and ask the Lord, what's my part in this? What do you want me to do? You consider the end of your life, the totality of your life, what you want to accomplish, what you want to do. Ask the Lord to give you direction and then write the vision, make it plain, 
and then you can just go with it. You can actually run to fulfill the vision. Just like David. Do you know when he went at Goliath? He wasn't like, I'm going to sneak up on him. It says he ran at him. How dare you? Why? There was a cause. And the greatest cause we have is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every person that we can come in contact with. Sometimes the greatest way you can bring that gospel is to be a living letter that they can see and experience and come in contact with and know there was something different about you. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're in the room. Maybe you're online. Wherever you're at, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to turn your life Maybe that's not the best way to say it. To get a brand new life. You know the awesome thing about God is when you come to him with all that you are and all that you have, he'll give you a clean slate, a fresh start. You can get born all over again. You be someone that's never sinned, never failed, Never had any issues. That's the old man. But you become a brand new person in Christ Jesus. God's not looking for perfect people. Jesus was the perfect one and is the perfect one. God's looking for people who will let him love them. God's looking for someone, a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, who will give him their life, put their trust in him and let him come in and make crooked paths straight. Take things that are wrong, cleanse you, remove those from you, make you brand new. You'll never start to really live until you are born again. You never see as clearly as what you could see until you're born again. You don't come to God because you do a bunch of good things or because you refuse to do bad things. You come to God because you're responding to his spirit on your heart who is revealing to you your need of him. He'll never force you to do it, but it'll give you every opportunity. It's the goodness, his goodness, that leads you to consider the course of your life and change your life to his direction. Give him your life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you'd like to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You know the Lord's moving on you now. You might not understand, but you're saying, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I want to turn my life over to God. I want to be a brand new person. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be set free. With every head bowed, just lift up your hands. you'd like to receive Jesus as Lord. With your hands raised, what you're saying is, I believe God raised Jesus from the dead because he loves me. I want to receive his forgiveness. I receive his son and I receive this new life. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. I'd like 
everyone to pray with me. If you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord, just pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us as we pray. If you pray this prayer from your heart, God will hear your prayer. He'll answer your prayer. He'll come in to your life and make you a brand new person. Give you a fresh start and relieve you of all the stress, the anxiety, the troubles. You just give them to him. Say this. Say, oh God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and that he died on the cross to take away my sins. And to make me right with you. Lord Jesus, I take you as my Lord, my Savior. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm living for you every day. Father God, thank you for saving me and for forgiving me and making me a brand new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.